Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, where I'll tell you quite a bit about football and maybe just a little bit about life. This week, one of the stranger podcasts I've done. I'll tell you exactly how the sausage got made here late Tuesday night this week, after the NFL moved the long-scheduled Rams Chiefs showdown from Mexico City to Los Angeles. So what was going to be a neutral site game now turns into a home field edge game for the Rams. My guest this week, Kansas City coach Andy Reid, who now will take his team into the game of the year against the Rams in Los Angeles. Raul Alegre, the Mexico native and former NFL kicker, now working for ESPN Deportes. He told me Saturday, watch out for the field conditions. They're really bad. Well, I should have listened to Allegre on Saturday. He turned out to be prescient on Tuesday. And Mark Waller, the executive vice president of NFL International, on the state of international games in the league. And let me be upfront with you about this. I talked to Waller late last week about international play. In this game in Mexico, we also discussed But I cut that stuff about Mexico Tuesday night because of the change in the news. So if you think it's odd I didn't ask him about it, that's why. So, let's talk about the move of this game. A Mexican sports writer and radio host, Joshua Maya, he's covering this story and he told me late Tuesday, this is a shame for us in Mexico. We are ashamed. We are very sad, as well this country should. This is an accident that never had to happen, and I'm going to tell you exactly why it happened. And, you know, it's amazing it came to this. But there were two things that were very apparent Tuesday night as I was reporting this story. Number one, the league was going to have real issues on its hands if it asked players to play on this field at Azteca Stadium. It had been severely chewed up because of a bad rainy season in Mexico and because two pro soccer teams play there weekly and because of three big concerts there in the last month. Number two, once three turf analysts from the NFL, the NFLPA, and the Rams looked at the chewed up field early this week, 
they said it was not a field fit for professional players. At about 4.45 p.m. Tuesday, the league announced the games between the teams with the two best records in football would be moved to the L.A. Coliseum. And we've got to clarify this, and we've got to make one important point. Last spring, the field at Azteca Stadium was changed. Instead of having natural grass or instead of having plain artificial turf, the field, the pitch at Azteca Stadium was changed to the synthetic turf, the variety of turf in some stadiums in the United States that basically have a combo platter of natural grass and synthetic grass. And what happens in this turf, everybody has said in the last day, why don't they just resod the field? It isn't that simple. The reason it isn't that simple is because when you have this mix of synthetic turf and turf, the turf has to be, in essence, and, and, I, and this is hard to comprehend, it has to be sewn together in the areas of the field that also have the artificial turf. So it just couldn't be accomplished and given enough time to take and to take root. Um, if it had been started, let's say, Wednesday, and you have to finish it in order to play a game the following Monday. So those are the issues that really cost the game to be moved. Now, let me just digress for a moment and tell you what the Rams have been through in the last week. Last Thursday morning, they awoke to the news of the massacre at that country bar in Thousand Oaks, about four miles from their practice facility. And they went about their day, about 1045, in that, that morning, they basically agreed um, to contribute to a fund for the victims of the massacre and to try to do some other things to basically help their fellow human beings. Then at 3 in the afternoon, they're out of practice and they see two fires perilously close within three miles of their practice facility. And... Within the next 12 hours, 90 players, staffers, coaches, and their families had been evacuated from their homes in the area. They took the day off Friday, and they went to the USC football practice field Saturday because they had a game to get ready for on Sunday against Seattle. Now, they beat Seattle, didn't play great, but they beat Seattle on Sunday, and then because the following week's game was going to be played in Mexico City, which is altitude about 8,000. They flew to Colorado to begin practicing this week in altitude. They were going to Colorado Springs, which is about 7,000 feet above sea level. And they had the day off on Tuesday, and they were going to have the day off on Wednesday, uh, which they still are going to have. So they've got all of this situation. Then all of a sudden, the game in Mexico gets moved back to the Coliseum. All of the uh, ticket people in the Rams organization suddenly had to mobilize 
they went not to their practice facility or to the L.A. Coliseum. They couldn't go to their practice facility because it's still locked down because of the threat of, of, of a fire. And they go basically to another place to begin selling tickets and trying somehow, some way, you know, on the top, off the top of their head to sell 70,000 seats for potentially the game of the year. We'll see how they do, but it's just been a very, very strange few days uh, for the Rams. I'm going to tell you two other things. One, so Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, uh, who often doesn't get many accolades because he's an owner and because I think a lot of people in St. Louis blame the team moving out of that market to Stan Kroenke, but whatever. Stan Kroenke uh, basically began to realize what an incredible situation uh, this team was in. And so, you know, he obviously wanted to do the right thing for his for his team. He chartered a, pl- chartered a plane to take the families to Colorado and was just really understanding for what, his team was going through sort of as people. But um, I called Andrew Whitworth uh, on Tuesday night. He is basically the leader of this team, and he's the one who gave his paycheck last weekend uh, to, uh, you know, basically to the families that uh, who knows how they were going to be able to use it, but he wanted to make sure that the families had the ability to help themselves through whatever he could give them. And so I asked him, you know, about what had been going on and and how he felt about it. And I'm just going to read you what he said, okay, in a text message late Tuesday night. Just honestly so grateful to Stan Kroenke and Rams management. I told my wife as they arrived here tonight in Colorado, I've never felt more a part of something and something special than this moment. We have an owner and a staff that takes care of every employee that is displaced and flies our family to us and puts them in a hotel with us and has our back at every turn. It makes you feel connected, appreciated, and inspired to give them everything you've got as a player. So in the midst of this basic horror that the Rams have got to put up or have had to put up with, they've got a very interesting thing building there, possibly, possibly in terms of team chemistry. And I found that highly, highly interesting. So I think I would, I would end this by basically, you know, just saying, okay, what does this mean? And I'll, and, and again, this is going to be a story that's going to exist for quite a while, and it may still exist after this season, you know, the spate of fires out west. But but I, I think the one other thing to appreciate is the fact that, and look, most people live in Missouri and who were bitter at Kroenke for moving the franchise a couple of years ago to L.A., I totally get if you're bitter and unhappy and and all that, but... The fact is, this team, this organization, stepped up huge at a time of huge need for these players, uh, and I think it was really a good move by Kroenke, 
And I think most people would agree that that is sort of a, a standard setting issue, you know, by uh, Stan Kroenke that he didn't have to do, but he did it. And I think he'll be the beneficiary of this down the road. And now my conversation with Kansas City coach Andy Reid. Back on the Peter King podcast, happy to be joined by Andy Reid, the coach of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Andy, we're sitting here after you uh, have won yet another game, uh, but this was a little bit of a different game, the win over the Arizona Cardinals. It was probably tougher than anybody on the outside world would have thought. You prepared for this game. What did you expect going in, and what did you see? Yeah, well, you're, you're sitting in between this game and then your game uh, uh, the following week against the Rams and so in Mexico City. And so there's, there's a little bit of that distraction there. You're coming off a team, uh, two teams that, whose records aren't very good but are, are working to get themselves uh, better. And, and uh, so uh, you're going to get their best shot, which we understand. It's great for our football team to get this experience we're a young team in a lot of areas in particular in winning back-to-back-to-back type games so it's important for us to learn how you go about doing your business week in and week out doesn't matter who you play the situation and so uh we can take we can take a bunch from this what do you think you learn especially in terms of protecting patrick mahomes he got beat up a little bit he got sacked five times in this game by the cardinals yeah, this is uh, great for our offensive line. So we, we've got uh, a little bit of uh, a mix in there of, of new new guys and young guys, and so they haven't played much together. You know, our inside three, uh, all new at their positions. So, and, and the communication with your offensive line ends up being very, very important. So to be able to go through something like this, figure it out, and then come out the second half and do better than what you did the first half, I thought was a plus. Um. So was it good to have that kind of game instead of a whatever a 48 to 10 game where you're not really challenged as much? Yeah, I'm not sure either way it it, it matters uh it's good to get the win. And I think I I know exactly what you're asking. Uh, but in this case, uh everybody's attention uh, will be focused on the Rams Monday night in front of every, you know the whole world in Mexico City so um you know that's uh, uh you know I don't, I don't think either way it, it really matters uh, we're going to coach our guys up on getting better and and so when we need to do that and we have plenty of room to do it and you come out of wins uh being able to say that uh that's a positive thing a couple of questions about Patrick Mahomes so I think America is looking at Mahomes, the world is looking at Mahomes and saying, how did this happen so fast? But I think your feeling has been that the seeds were planted a lot last year and being able to sit and watch has been very, very advantageous to him. Tell me about his first year and what when you look back on it now, was very important about that first year. Yeah, so Peter, not only did he get a chance to sit and watch, he got a, he got to sit and watch a true pro doing his business. With day, Alex Smith. With Alex Smith, day in and day out. And nobody prepares like Alex Smith. Nobody does that. I mean, he is as diligent. Well, you know, there's some good quarterbacks, so I don't want to slight anybody. But the, I, I know 
he prepares as well as anybody I've seen for a football game. He's brilliant on top of that. He keeps himself in great shape. His diet becomes very important. His rest becomes very important. The whole gamut of preparing himself for the four hours on Sunday, um, it, he's got it down pat as well as anybody can do it. And so for Patrick to sit there and watch that whole day in and day out pitcher, that's a thing that, that's beneficial to him now. Not that he couldn't have gotten in there and played and played at a high level, but how do you prepare yourself to play and extend your time for the length of a NFL football season? So uh, I'm, I have always said he can't pay Alex enough for, for that lesson uh, that he learned at such a young age. It's like you told me uh, before the year that uh, Patrick owes Alex a lot. He owes him a mansion. You know, he doesn't just own a dinner. It, it might be a castle. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the one thing I noticed watching Mahomes throw the ball, he throws from a lot of different arm angles, and almost all of that is done efficiently. He, he can throw on the run. He can throw three quarters. He can throw sidearm. I just saw his dad, and his dad told me, obviously the former Major League pitcher Pat Mahomes, his dad told me that he thinks that comes from playing shortstop and you know having to complete a lot of double plays and, and, and all that. But tell me about that aspect of it, and is that a little bit different from quarterbacks you've been able to work with? Well, it is. Now, listen, I, I was lucky enough to coach Brad Favre, who threw from every angle possible. So I, I've seen it done before, just a little different. But, I mean, I've seen it done and just gone, whoa, a lot during the game, as you did. Um, and so this kid, I, I remind people, our coaches, that he is throwing a football. Because sometimes it's just what his dad said. It looks like he's throwing a baseball. And he does it with accuracy. And you just have to remind yourself that that's a football in his hand. Because he does it so easy, uh, with grace, he, he's accurate. I mean, like precise position on those RPOs, th around bodies, into the receiver's hands, one foot in front of the number, uh, to give his receivers an opportunity to to run. I mean, it's it's quite an amazing thing to watch. Um, what now do you expect him to improve on? as this year goes on and as he moves into his future? Well, you're going to see different looks. So you, every week you're going to see these different looks, and that's just experience that you put in the bag. So today he learned a ton off of a few of the different looks that he got. And the one neat thing about him is that you, you might fool him once, you normally don't fool him twice. And he's a, he's a quick learner. So, but you've got to store that knowledge. you got to, you got to take that, put it in the bag, and make sure that uh, – you know, you, you remember it for these teams that you're, you're going to see and then uh, down the road. It might not be this year. It might be the following year. But you're learning every time, every opportunity you go out there, you're learning. My last question is, uh, I know you are loath to talk about yourself. But you have a very good chance here in the next year or two uh, to pass one of the greatest coaches that ever coached, Chuck Knoll on the all-time coaching wins list. Do you ever think about things like that? And do you ever say, holy crap, this is really kind of cool? You know, I, I don't go there. I, um, I, and you do. You know me. You've known me as long as anybody. So, I mean, it's uh, that's just not how I roll. 
Um, when you're a head coach, you're, you're worried about that next opponent. You never really look back. That's not where you go with this thing. So I'm, I'm looking forward. I love doing what I'm doing, Peter. I, I still, at 60 years old, love every minute. I feel honored to be able to do it. I love Chuck Noel and everything that he was about. Um, and uh, what a great one. And when you mentioned that, I, for the moment here, I go, okay, that, that that's a name that I respect like crazy. And, uh, uh, but, um, again, I'm, uh, when we're done here, my mind is going to get churning on the Rams. I mean, that's how simple this thing is. It's, uh, it's ridiculous, but, um, I love every minute of it. Parcells always used to say the pain of the losses is a lot more pronounced than the thrill of the victories. And so he said, a lot of times when I'm preparing, I'm preparing because I do not want to feel that feeling of what it's like to lose. I, I think a lot of coaches are like that. It's, it's hard to really take a lot of joy in a day like this because you're, you're already thinking about what's, com- what's coming in, in eight days. Yeah, well, you can see the scars on my face here uh, from my, my grandkids. I'm going to go home and let them put a few more little scratches on my face. Uh, I've got nine of them that are here, so I'm going to go enjoy them jumping around, and then I'll get right back on it. But for about a minute there, I'm going a, I'm to a sneak out of the football zone and, and, and let them beat me up a little bit, and then uh, I'll get right back on it. And, and listen, we all enjoy doing what we're doing. If you ask Coach Parcells if he had an opportunity to come back and do it now all over again, you go, heck yeah, man! It was unbelievable. The little churn in the stomach and all that stuff. You, you know, and, and having your youth and being able to deal with these kids the way the way you do, uh, and they they keep you they keep you young um, until you look in the mirror. They keep you young, uh, but you love every you love every minute of it. Andy Reid, thanks so much. All right, Peter, thank you. If you wear contact lenses and find yourself dreading that annual appointment to renew your prescription, you're going to love Simple Contacts. It's a great new company that makes this annoying process very simple. Simple Contacts lets you renew your expired contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from your phone or computer, and it just takes minutes. Simple Contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are, whenever you need it. You can take the Simple Contacts vision test online in just five minutes, and a real doctor reviews it, and if your vision hasn't changed, he'll renew your prescription. You can save time, save money, and save yourself a headache. And if you already have an unexpired prescription, just upload a photo of it or your doctor's info and order your lenses in minutes for a great price. They do all the hard work for you. This is vision care for the 21st century. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lens, and their prices are unbeatable. The prescription is just $20. Compare that with an annual appointment, which can be up to $200 without insurance. And Simple Contacts has some of the best prices on contacts. Shipping is free. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first Simple Contacts order. To save $20 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com king or simply enter the code king, that's K-I-N-G, at checkout. 
I want to mention that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those. But this is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts and get $20 off by going to simplecontacts.com king or just enter code king, that's K-I-N-G, at checkout. Give it a try. You'll thank me later. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Now my conversation with Raul Alegre, the ESPN Deportis NFL analyst. So, Raul, we're just getting the news late here on a Tuesday about the NFL changing the venues of the Rams-Chiefs game from Mexico City to Los Angeles because of poor field conditions. You grew up in Mexico, and you now broadcast NFL games for ESPN Deportes into Mexico and Latin America. You know this country. You know this turf. What's the reaction of the fans in Mexico right now? Well, they have mixed emotions. Uh, The first reaction, I would say, is complete anger. People are very, very mad because this is something that could have been avoided. This is something that is a result of negligence, stupidity, lack of planning. Uh, People are probably sad, I would say devastated, they had very high hopes of seeing a premier game in their home country. And also, I'm pretty sure that people are ashamed because of the image that this is going to portray uh, for Mexico in the United States and in the world of sports. Uh, uh, Mexico has hosted the Olympics, uh, two World Cups. Uh, there is a Formula One every year in Mexico. And... And we do it with uh, great pride, a great organization, a, a lot of enthusiasm, and people love it. But again, because of the negligence and lack of planning of a few people, this is not going to happen. 
So we spoke the other day and you told me you were concerned about the field conditions at Azteca Stadium. You know, you, you, we talked about how two soccer teams, professional soccer teams, that was their home field. Uh, and obviously they had had a new turf system put in this year um, that was essentially, um, you know, sort of a combination of natural turf and synthetic turf. So it was going to be difficult to replace, obviously, in one week. But what's what what do you think happened here, you know, to the best of your understanding? Why do you think they couldn't get these field conditions fixed? I did see this coming. I attended a Shakira concert on October 12th. Uh, Shakira is an international star, and the stadium was packed. They had people covering the entire field of play. And the next day I saw pictures of the stadium and, and it, was a, it was a complete mess. Uh, at the time I thought, well, they, they have uh, five weeks to fix this. But uh, I was flabbergasted uh, to hear and to learn that they were gonna continue to have soccer games and that they were planning other events. Uh, just on November 7th, there was another major, massive concert at Azteca Stadium that also covered the entire field. And, and at that point, the field, there was no way that it was going to recover. They tried to reset the field. I know officials felt that uh, they could still be fixed, but you cannot leave uh, things at the last moment. Uh, this uh, there is a standard now that uh, the NFL uh, has, uh, and uh, they have the you know the stadiums that want to host games is outside of the United States. They have to live up to those uh, standards, and uh, resorting is not an easy thing. It takes weeks, and they felt you know they started resorting just a couple days ago. And it was impossible to uh, to get the field ready. Uh, I read comments about some players saying that if the game was played in Mexico City at a Azteca Stadium, they would not play. I know the NFL Players Association got involved. And uh, I think as hard it is for me to admit it, they made the right decision. The NFL and the NFL Players Association made the right decision because the field would have been a huge risk to the health of players. Is this a blow to the pride of the people in Mexico? I mean, they, they were so looking forward to the biggest regular season game of the NFL season. Uh, heck yes, it is a blow to the pride of people in Mexico. These are fans that really love the NFL. I mean, they come games uh, in the United States and I'm not just talking Houston or Dallas who are nearby and you know have had teams for many many years I'm talking you know fans that go to Buffalo fans to go to uh, Cleveland Green Bay Seattle uh, uh, New England uh, everywhere and, and they are very passionate and they were very excited to have uh, you know, the premier game of the year with uh, the two leading candidates for MVP being on the same surface in Mexico. I mean, I'm talking about Todd Gurley and uh, Patrick Mahomes. I, I remember 
when the NFL first uh, played a regular season game outside of the United States, it was Azteca Stadium, Mexico City, October 2nd, 2005. It was San Francisco against Arizona. Neither team was very good that year, but the stadium was packed. At the time, the stadium held around 100,000 people. And even though neither team had huge uh, fan bases, uh, the, the fans came and they were wearing the jersey of their favorite team and all 32 teams were represented. That's how much people love the NFL in Mexico. So, Raul, I, I really want you to explain the passion of the Mexican football fan that I don't think a lot of people uh, in America really know. I think I just... Uh, uh, talked about that. I mean, they pr- love him just as much, if not more, because they don't get to see them in person very often, and uh, and they still follow the the teams. I mean, they are fan, you know, uh, you know, fan clubs for just about every team all over Mexico. I mean, they communicate uh, by Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, uh, and, and they show. They're, they're, you know, game-watching parties. Uh, no, these fans are, are very, very passionate about the NFL, about football in general. Keep in mind that football has been played in Mexico for over 100 years, and people do understand what's going on. They love their teams, they love the NFL, and they love the sport. You grew up in Torreon, a city in north-central Mexico. So what do you think the average fan in Torreon is thinking this morning? Well, they will be just like me. Very mad, very sad, frustrated, and embarrassed. I personally feel sad because my brother and my nephew, who is also my godson, uh, were going to go to the game. I was able to get them tickets. They, it was a, you know, going to be a father-son event, and now this is not going to happen because of the negligence of some people. But this is just an example. There are people that spend big savings to travel from all over Mexico to go to the game in Mexico City that now they will not have the opportunity to, to do that. And once again, this what really, really upsets people is this is something that they that it could have been avoided. Uh, the organizers need to understand that if they want to do business with the NFL, they have to conform to NFL standards and that uh, if they have to close the stadium for a few weeks, they have to do that. But you know, the fact that they did not that is also, in my opinion, an insult to the soccer teams that played under those conditions and to the players of those soccer teams who also risked their livelihood and, and the possibility of injury uh, while playing there. This is unexcusable. You personally, how disappointed are you? You know, I know how much you love football. I covered you in the 80s when you kicked for the Giants, and you've continued to cover the league post-career, and you're well-known now uh, throughout Mexico because you have analyzed the games now for several years there. So how do you feel today about all this? Well, I don't know if I can put it any any words that can be more clear than this. I am, you know, 
very upset on many levels. First of all, as a Mexican, because I was so happy that the NFL was going to go to uh, my country as a fan because uh, I loved the game and I knew the quality of the teams that were going to be playing in, in Mexico City. And as a broadcaster, because I was going to have the opportunity to be on the call of, if not the best game, one of the best games uh, of the 2018 uh, uh, regular season. So again, I am first, I am mad, I am sad, and I am embarrassed because the, of the, you know, of what people may, may you know, think and what kind of conclusions they, they, they could uh, draw from here. I do hope that the NFL considers going back to Mexico. I don't know what they're thinking right now. It took 10 years uh, for the NFL to return to Mexico. And, and now, uh, you know, this happens. This is not like the NBA game where they had an accident and, and uh, something blew up and the arena filled up with smoke. It was out of their control. This was negligence. This could have been avoided. Uh, and they just didn't do that. And for that, I am very, very upset. Raul, thanks so much for your time, and good luck in getting out of the muck and mire of this fairly ugly story. But I really appreciate you taking the time. Can I tell you about my new favorite thing at home? It's my new Sonos Beam. Now, Sonos Beam is the smart, compact soundbar for my TV and the newest addition to my home sound system. It plays everything that I love. There's so much to enjoy. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. I can even use AirPlay to enjoy music and my favorite shows from my iPhone or iPad. Not only does it have all the streaming I need, but wait till you listen. Its sound is brilliantly clear. Using my beam fills my living room with such great sound. I can enjoy detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV, movies, and of course my favorite, podcasts. I can't believe how easy it was to set up. There's no crazy wiring. I'm telling you, it took 10 minutes. Beam connected to my TV with one cord, and it's synced up easily with my remote. Even better, that Sonos app made it so easy to set up, and you can make all the adjustments right from that app. Now, here was something I wasn't expecting. Amazon Alexa's built in. I get all the benefits of having Alexa, and now I even have the hands-free control of my music. I can even use my voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. How great is that? Every morning, I come out in my breakfast room to, have, to, to eat breakfast and have my coffee. And I say, Alexa, put on NPR. <laughs> and Alexa puts on All Things Considered in the afternoon and puts on Morning Edition in the morning. It's pretty good. So go get your Sonos today. Don't wait. 
Don't you want to listen to music in one room and maybe a podcast in another or some news in a third? Or you can send your sound from TV everywhere in your house so you never miss a second. So create the ultimate entertainment center today with your Beam. Sonos Beam. Go online to get yours today. And now my conversation with Mark Waller, the Executive Vice President of NFL International. Back on the Peter King Podcast, happy to be joined by the NFL's Vice President uh, for International, Mark Waller. What is the appetite for the NFL in Mexico? Huge. I mean, we have, we estimate about 24 million fans in in the country of Mexico and and that's a significant number of those I think we estimate about seven to eight million avid fans probably most how do you judge that so we do a tracking study in every market that we're in we track uh, fandom week in week out in the in the season and then we consolidate that year on year we've been doing that for probably seven or eight years now Um, so we track the the fandom uh, the other thing which is, I think, massively important for us is Mexico City, that as a fan uh, center for us, if that was an NFL city, it would be something like the fourth or fifth biggest NFL city um, that we have in terms of number of, of fans. So it's just a huge market for us. Um, what's the biggest team in Mexico? Is it the Dallas Cowboys? The Dallas Cowboys would be, I think, one or two. Pittsburgh Steelers are massive uh, in in Mexico. Why is that? Uh, I I think um, many years ago, uh, in the broadcast agreements, a disproportionate number of Steelers games were aired, I think, back in the 60s and 70s, maybe the 80s. Um, And so, for a long time, you saw a lot of Steelers games. There's also a strong connection in the steel industry. Mexico is a strong steel um, uh, country as well. And so I think there was a lot of workers went backwards and forwards between Pittsburgh and Mexico. How hard have you worked to try to get the Steelers down to Mexico? You put that in the past tense. We're still working on them. We'd we'd love to get them there. (laughs) Um, um, What would you say is the future of the NFL in Mexico, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, is it possible that there could be a franchise there? Or do you think that it's more likely that it's an annual game there? I've always felt that the best expression of fandom is having your own team. Um, I feel that in the UK and I I feel that in in Mexico as well. We're, We're definitely not looking at that opportunity at the moment, but projecting out 20 or 30 years, hard to imagine a massive city like Mexico, a powerful economy like, like Mexico, not being a, a potential place to host the team with the logistics being relatively straightforward. I want to finish by asking you two questions just about the future of international football. Since I have sort of adopted this, um, I guess you'd call it a – a stance that I think there's going to be an NFL franchise in London by 2022 or 23, I always get a pushback from people who say, Peter, we love people who are, who live there. Mm -hmm. We love 
having six or eight different teams coming over per year. We love the fact that once every five or six years, my team has a good chance of playing in London. How do you weigh that versus establishing one team over there? Uh, well, I think the first thing to point out is that any team that plays in London is going to have eight teams coming over to play against it. So you're going to get eight teams uh, every year coming over already um, with a home team. I, I think also it, it's it's hard to project forward. If you're a fan of, I don't know, pick a team, the Green Bay Packers, it's hard to project forward and imagine how you would feel about a, a London franchise. Could that replace your Green Bay Packers? Probably in the moment, no, but 10 years from now, who knows? So for me, I, I, I always go back to this idea that the best expression of fandom is having your own team. And at the moment, most UK fans have adopted an American team for whatever reason it is. They went to that city to study, they used to live in that city, or they know somebody, or they like the colors, yeah, whatever the reasons are that people pick teams. I think if you had your own team uh, on your doorstep, you would certainly adopt it. You may adopt it initially as a second team. Um, but again, for me, that's the beauty of the, the idea is you'll get the eight teams that come in every year. There'll be Some will be the same, some will be different, yet you'll have your own team to root for as well or root against. I mean, there's nothing wrong with rooting for the eight visiting teams and rooting against the, the home team. The other question I get a lot from people is, how can this possibly work logistically? So what I have explained to people and you're going to have to tell me right, wrong, indifferent, is that it's probably sensible to have, if there's a team in London, to have some sort of satellite facility at some place on the East Coast that has nonstop flights to London. Because during the season, you'd obviously have to um, you know, send some players if players get hurt for the London franchise, mm -hmm. you've got to send players over there. Yep. So there has to be workouts. There have to be this. Plus, maybe in training camp, you don't want to just be alone over in London. Right. You might want to be in the United States for four weeks so that you can practice against other teams and, and all that. But logistically, how can a team in London work? Well, I think, I mean, I think you, you described it well there the um the main issue for us will be not just the logistics but i think you've got to redefine what it means to be a home team or an away team so the idea that you might be playing eight games in london but spending significant time in the u.s and having an operational base in in the u.s means everyone has to kind of rethink the model which i think is again is the beauty of the idea, it creates a, a freshness, it creates a different way of, of looking at it. But I, I can't imagine that we could ever put a team in the UK without having somewhere in the US. I think you're right. I think it would need to be East Coast, it would need to be probably Southern rather than Northern so that you can make sure you've got the, you know, the right training um, facilities. But I, to me, that that's an exciting model. That's, will it create challenges for how you work and, and how where players live and where their families live, absolutely. But if you look at the world at the moment, there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time working backwards and forwards across countries with, without too many problems. 
The one other point I would make that I think is would be kind of interesting is if you look at a scheduling model, it seems to me that would be really interesting is maybe once a year you have a three-game homestand, mm-hmm. once a year you have a three-game road trip, yep. and then all the rest is, is probably two games on the road or at home per time. And that's why I think, look, I'm not saying that the logistics are ideal. I actually think it would be a good idea to have two teams you know, at mm-hmm. some point, whether that be in 22 or yep. 32, but two teams. But but I don't think the logistics are are so divisive and so difficult that you can't make it work. Yeah, I, I, to me, the, ultimately, it comes down to is the idea and the opportunity bigger than the challenges? And I would argue very strongly that it is. Well, that people would listen to your accent and they would say, <laughs> of course you would argue that, that the opportunities are great. Uh, but, I, I, but it's not I, – I, to me, it's, it, it's more than just the team in London or, or Mexico. It's, it's what it represents for what our sport stands for. It, to me, it's, it's about planting a flag about the future of the game, about the ability to extend it outside of – the u.s about making it more accessible to people around the world and so it's it's not just the physical aspect of a team in a country it's we're taking america's game and we're making it increasingly part of the global game that's huge value i think for everyone including fans i think american fans will learn to love to be part of a broader community Um, my last question i just thought of this there was a story in the Daily Telegraph um, three or four weeks ago talking about the difficulty of getting an NFL ticket mm-hmm. in England. And they actually said that it was tougher to get an NFL ticket or costlier to get an NFL ticket than it was to get a ticket to see Beyonce. So as someone who has experience in this, try to describe... The the wrong word might be frenzy, but try to describe the interest and how much fans, even of a game like the Chargers and Titans, that I don't think could sell 75,000 tickets in either one of their home markets, and they sell 75,000 tickets in three days. I, I think the the uniqueness of what we've created is we've created a a sort of series of games that are as much cultural and social as they are sporting. And so the desire to go to our games is, yes, it's fans, obviously, but it's also people who want to be part of an event that is special, an event that is unique, an event that is different from the sporting events that take place most of the, the year in the UK. So we've become, I think, fashionable in that respect it's it's a cool place to be seen it's also an incredibly inclusive place you can bring your kids you can bring your parents you can bring your boyfriend girlfriend it's it's a much more entertaining fun lively unifying day out most uk sporting events are primarily tribal and ultimately quite not divisive is the wrong word but there's an intense rivalry 
this is much more a celebration of unity, which is why I think it's become such a popular place to be, not just for sports fans. Plus, isn't isn't a huge soccer game over there incredibly male-dominated versus there's a lot of NFL games when they pan the stands. There's a lot of women at these games. Yeah, no, ours is a much more diverse um, audience. A lot of people go with their kids. I, yeah, I have a lot of friends of my age whose children are in there. You know, late teens, early twenties, who take their kids with them. It's yes, it is a much more diverse uh, audience, and and it's more fun. It's more of a fun day out. The thing I found, Mark, when I visited England uh, oh, a year and a half ago, and went on this tour where mm-hmm. I ended up writing about uh, how the NFL was doing over there, and what really impressed me, uh, we were in Liverpool at. Uh, at a, I think a concert hall. It was maybe a thousand seats in the place, and it was full. Mm-hmm. And they had a Q and A period, and somebody raised his hand. And this was two weeks before the draft in 2017. And a guy stood up. I think he had a Terrell Suggs jersey on. And a guy stood up and he goes, "What are the chances that you think the Ravens could get Derek Barnett in the draft <laughs> this year?" And I said, uh, "I." I'm sorry. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> it's three weeks before the draft. I don't know who's picking right. who. Uh, but that trip, uh, they were in uh, London. Um, uh, they were in Liverpool. Uh, they were in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they were in Scotland. In Glasgow or Edinburgh. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and Edinburgh. And what... At the end of it, um, you know, some of the people on the trip were saying, so what did you think? And I said, these people, if I went to do one of these events in Swickley, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. I, these people compare in NFL knowledge to those people. It, it was, that was, I must say, shocking. I, it, Not surprising, shocking. Yeah. And you know what one of the guys said to me when I was there? He goes, he goes, why are you so surprised? He said, we have the internet too. <laughs> you know, we, yep. we, re, it, we like football. Mm-hmm. We can watch all the games. Yep. They have the ability to get all the games. Mm-hmm. And we read about it voraciously. And, and I, I was amazed how many people have been reading my column for years. Yep. And I just, I just shook my head. I came home. My wife said, how was it? And I said... I felt like I was in Green Bay or something. It's yep. it's 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 it's, it's passionate stunning. people. It's pa- yeah. it's really passionate, knowledgeable fans who love the game, and that's why I love taking the teams over because when the players go over there, I think they go over with a sort of oh, it'll probably be a predominantly American crowd, or it'll be a relatively you know inexperienced crowd, and when they come back, they're just blown away by the atmosphere. And to your point, by the knowledge and the passion that the fans have. Give me an example of a coach or a player who said something to you on that level. Well, most recent feedback, Pete Carroll actually called the commissioner directly when they came back uh, and congratulated the commissioner on what a great trip it had been. And bear in mind that that trip for the Seahawks is long and should have been Seattle to Oakland. Right, so instead of Seattle, Oakland, they went Seattle, London. Now he, they did win, so um, there, there's definitely a bonus. But that, those sort of comments that come back, um, I had a great letter from Mike Brown, 
um, when they played after the game, just saying how blown the away. Yep. Yeah. How blown away he was by the fandom and by how well um, everybody enjoyed the experience. That's the gratifying uh, part of it is people coming back realizing there's a reason we take them across the Atlantic because it really matters. Mark Waller, thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you, Peter. Thanks to my guests, Andy Reid and Mark Waller. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, and Tom Brady. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Simple Contacts and Sonos. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.